The Athletic. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, well, Champions League, obviously, Man City's sporting chance, Real Madrid in Paris, Liverpool's plans to spend Wednesday evening on the internet. Plus, Borkham, murder one, why Pippo cannot be sacked, the best title race in Europe, and at least two goals of the season. It's all coming up in this Totally Football Show, European edition, in association with Paddy Power. Tuesday, 15th of February, Lister, and uh, thank goodness you're with us because there's a bit of a skeleton crew on this totally. We've got uh, James Horncastle. Hey, James. We've got Alvaro Romeo. Hello, James. Hello, Alvaro. And that's it. No, but on the way, on the way, we've got Christoph Biermann on that big, big Bundesliga story. And from his actual holiday, Julian Laurent should be joining us too. He couldn't not make his presence fail in a week as important as this. We've got Champions League coming back. Of course, PSG Real is a massive fixture on the Tuesday. There's also Europa League on the Thursday. Loads of other stories to talk about. What, um, what game are you most looking forward to midweek, Alvaro? Well, I'm not going to be too innovative here. Uh, PSG Real Madrid. Yes. The best, right. best game by far. And uh, there are so many storylines as well. Mbappé, for example, who is set to become a Real Madrid player soon, right? So... Maybe, maybe he is. Maybe, maybe, who knows, but it's, look, it's looking like. Right, okay. Uh, James, something beyond PSG Real Madrid for you? Well, it has to be San Siro, Liverpool against Inter. No, Liverpool had a very good time on their last visit. But I think for Inter, this is probably the biggest Champions League game that they've played since the treble. Um, mm. Because if you think about it, yeah, they had a couple of good games under Conte pre-COVID, Barcelona, Dortmund, particularly the Dortmund one at home. Um, but aside from that, you know, even on their Europa League run all the way to the final, that was either played behind closed doors or in Germany. So I, this feels like it's as big as it's got for it. I mean, it's of course their first knockout game in this competition in more than a decade. It feels like it's as big as it's got since what that final, that, that, that first leg against Barcelona in the semi-final in 2010. Mm. All right, well, we'll talk about what chances they have of not getting knocked out uh, in the, the next two games a little bit later on. But first off, of course, it's moments of the weekend with Paddy Power, only two of them. So let's make them biggies. Alvaro, what you got? My moment of the week is Atletico de Madrid winning pretty much in the last minute of the game. Preparado Rodrigo de Paul, la templa de Paul, segundo palo hermoso, gol del Atlético de Madrid. It was very difficult for them against Getafe because uh, in the first half they conceded three goals, they scored three as well, but if you tell Simeone you are going to concede three goals against Getafe in the first half of the game, probably he will start choking. Uh, agonizing but this time Atletico de Madrid managed to come back in the second half in a heroic way I would say because they did it with 10 men Felipe was sent off for a horrific challenge and uh, you know it looked like Getafe could have the upper hand but Mario Hermoso the guy who suffered a lot against Adama Traoré a week now uh, he managed to score a beautiful goal with the volley and Atletico is now leveled on points with Barcelona fifth on the table 
Crikey. They've also already conceded more goals this season in La Liga than they have in any of Diego Simeone's previous nine full seasons in charge. Wow. Anyway, uh, James, your moment of the week, stroke weekend. <laughs> I think it has to be goal of the season contender uh, in the Atalanta Juventus game that we had on Golazzo on Sunday night on BT Sport. That uh, Ruslan Malinowski goal from what 35 felt like 40 yards. Malinowski, la barriera dei giocatori della Juventus, il tocco, la conclusione, gol! Strepitoso gol di Malinowski, un sinistro che buca Szczesny. Back heel layoff from Remo Froilo, and he just hits it as he so often does. Only Messi scored more goals from outside the box than Malinowski in the last three and a half years and nothing that Szczesny could do about it. Uh, it was a goal good enough to win the game, mm. but they drew the game, James. They so drew. An absolutely crucial encounter, potentially for who's going to be playing Champions League football out of Syria next season. That is a subject we will be addressing later on, but we're going to begin with the Champions League last 16. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. If one leg of your 4 plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg. Online exclusive, no shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. All right, the sweet sounds of the Champions League theme heralding the return of the great continental competition this week. Tuesday, Paris Saint-Germain against Real Madrid and also Sporting against Man City. Wednesday then, RB Salzburg take on Bayern Munich and it's inter-livable. Joining us now on the line from atop a mountain resort, Julian Laurence. Jules, bonjour. Hi, James. Hi, everyone. So good to have you with us. Oh, we missed you on Moment of the Weekend. Would you care to give us one before we get cracking on the PSG Real Madrid? Yeah, I think I would pick the uh, Lyon victory against um, against Nice because that was a, a big game for them in the uh, for the table and their position. It was big for for Peter Bosch, who, as we know, has been has been struggling. And what that showed is that they're capable, so capable those. These those Lyonnais uh, capable of great games, and we saw against Marseille as well that they beat what well, ten days before how good they could be, and again against Nice who were second in the table doing really well. Maybe the key Jimbo was that Jerome Boateng was dropped for the mm. game, not even on the bench, completely dropped Boateng, the uh, 2014 World Cup winner, because he's had one more or one too many, let's say, argument with Peter Bosch, argued with some of the the players because. He didn't think some were disciplined enough and there was a lot of uh, arriving later training, for example, or he didn't really like the attitude. Uh, and I think tactically as well with Peter Bosch, they, they didn't really get on. So for that reason, moaning too much, he was dropped. And look, without him, they certainly did better than the last game with him. So maybe it was the, the right call. All right. And you're pretty happy with it because it's extended PSG's lead at the top of League 1. Uh, so uh, PSG now, what is it, 16 points clear? Crikey. Yeah. But the league at this point is a bit of an afterthought. Coming up, Tuesday and then the return match in Madrid are the two matches which are going to pretty much define Paris Saint-Germain and Pochettino's season. What happens if this goes wrong, Jules? Well, Jimbo, if, if, if this goes wrong, I I still think he will finish 
the season and see out the season and they will win the, the, the league and title. And But that would be it because, as we know, they're already out of the French Cup as well. Uh, it would be pretty boring. Uh, it would already be on who's coming next because there would be no way Poch would stay for the last year of his contract. So the 2022-2023 season. I think it would put maybe put him off of even trying to finish the season. He might just want to say, like, you know what, this is this is pointless now because he's going to get destroyed. I mean, again, it depends how they lose it. If right. it's really tight. Well, I mean, I was wrong to even for me to have even said that. They haven't lost it yet and they might not lose it, Jules. What's your feeling about PSG? Uh, the weekend saw them with a kind of classic uh, Paris Saint-Germain performance in that it looked like they were going to drop points until time added on and then Kylian Mbappé sort of things out. I mean, if you take Kylian out of this team, there's nothing left. There is nothing. This, this is his team, but, but not just this team as in he's the boss, which he is more than Messi, Neymar, Marquinhos, Verratti, whoever you want. This is his team in the sense that if he's not there, nothing happens. If he's not there, they don't score or they don't create anything, pretty much. If he's not there, I think it's pretty comfortable for the opposition to defend against them. If you look at Messi, as great as he is, he's still the Messi that you know doesn't run much, he's not very aggressive, doesn't really have now the impact over the first five to ten yards than he used to in terms of dribbling, for example. So at times, it's okay to defend against Messi. With Kylian, it's not. Mm. So if you take him out of this team, there's nothing left. That's what worries me the most because if you're Real Madrid right now or if you're anybody else, but it's harder, for example, if you're Rennes or if you're a, a Liga team, if it's Real Madrid, it's easier if you want to keep Mbappé quiet then you know that you can put, I don't know, let's say Militao on him the whole time, as well as backing up with Carvajal and backing up with Casemiro, for example. Even if they have to be 3v1, and then Kylian is going to be quiet. And I'm not sure PSG has enough patterns of plays and things like this to be able to cope with, with an average Kylian Mbappé. If, if Mbappé is out of the game, if the other team like Real Madrid takes him out of the, out of the game, by just keeping him quiet, I just don't think PSG have enough then to, to win a game like this. So right. that's why Real Madrid have to be slight favourite. It will depend a lot on how face Benzema, how face Fernand Mendy. Mm-hmm. But they have to be slight favourite. And then for PSG, it will rely a lot on Kylian and I guess a little bit on Messi as well. And, and what about Neymar? It would make a pretty big difference if, if he was fit as well. Give the opposition something else to think about. That's right. I'm, I'm told that he would be in the squad but only on the bench. He hasn't okay. played... Uh, since since the end of November or beginning of December, it's, it's, I, I think it would be too risky, too crazy to start him. I mean, maybe Poch will. Uh, we've, what we've seen, though, when Neymar was not playing is that this PSG team, however, in the last few weeks, to, to, to give a bit of positive, they've been far more balanced defensively. They've been much, much stronger defensively than any other time this season in defensive transition, for example, in recovery of the ball. All that has been a bit better than what we've seen between August and mid-November, for example, or even start of December. So on that, that's this progress. I'm just not sure it will be enough. But again, they've got so much talent. Right. And, you know, if Verratti is on a good day, Marquinhos, Mbappé, Messi, of course, all of that, Hakimi, they've got enough, more than enough to beat Real Madrid. 
I just think that over the two legs, Real Madrid have to be slight favourite. Okay, but it's it's cup football, and you mentioned some of the names. This is one of the most expensive sides ever assembled, and so many of these players have so much to play for when they come up against Real Madrid. Whether it's Messi or Ramos, of course, or or former players like Di Maria or Hakimi, yeah. so many people uh, have so much invested in this game. What's your feeling, Jules? Do you believe? Yeah, I do believe. And I do believe that these players can step up when it matters. I think these players are players who play for the big games as well. And I'm not saying that Real Madrid don't, but because La Liga is a stronger league than Liga, for example, if you're Messi, and even if you're Marquinhos now, all you look for in your season, not all, but most of what you look for are the Champions League games, especially the knockout stages, maybe the Marseille derbies, the Lyon games, blah, blah, blah. But... And I think they live for those games. And I would not be surprised if a bit like when we, that we saw against City, for example, in the, in the group stages, James, if that, they raise their game up for this Real Madrid clash and then if they go through for the quarterfinals doing the same. I don't expect this, to see the same team that the one we see in Ligue 1 because I think they'll be far more up for it than in Ligue 1. After that, yeah, I think they've got enough talent to, to do it. I think Real Madrid, from what I've seen this season, are not... This is not the level of City or Liverpool, for example, or Bayern Munich yet. But they also have great individual talents. But I still don't think that collectively they are strong as the three favourite in the competition. So for PSG, this is something they can they can do. And we've seen those great nights before. This first leg, as I know it's a bit of a cliche, but will be will be very, very important psychologically. See how the game pans out, if they can be dominant, if they can recover the ball high up on the pitch very quickly again and put more pressure on Real Madrid. I think there's something there, based Real Madrid and it's Carlo Ancelotti also coming back to Paris, of mm. course. It's Karim Benzema coming back to France. So there's a lot of narratives on both sides, but... I believe, but I still think Real Madrid will, will be too strong over the two legs. I see. Jules, bonne chance, mon ami. We'll catch up with you soon. Merci, mon ami. Julien Laurence, eh? Alvaro Romeo. What about Real as they head into this clash? Is it felt in quite such an epic fashion in Madrid as it is in Paris? I think so. Uh, from the very moment that... Uh the Champions League hotballs uh, paired up Real Madrid and uh, PSG. I think that everyone is talking about uh, the PSG game. I know that Real Madrid is still involved in domestic duties. In La Liga, they are topping the table. Um, mm. It looks like uh, Sevilla can be a league contender, but that is still to be seen. They are out of the cup. And yes, the, there is a lot of anticipation for the game against uh, PSG because uh, it's not only the Mbappé thing, which uh, probably gathers the 80% of the attention. It's also like the Sergio Ramos thing, Lionel Messi coming back to the Santiago Bernabeu uh, in a month time or in three weeks time. Uh, so many players have uh, swapped sides and have ended up playing for both sides, like Keylor Navas, Achraf Hakimi, Angel Di Maria as well. But basically this game offers Real Madrid the opportunity to leave behind the team uh, with some serial Champions League winners in the squad, uh, the likes mm. of Messi, Keylor... Sergio Ramos, and this is very important for Real Madrid because PSG is a Champions League contender and uh, Real Madrid can also make a statement on the pitch before 
presumably, making a statement this summer in the bureau, in the offices, when they sign Kylian Mbappé, or if they bring him uh, at zero cost, if they manage to do it, which seems to be what's going to happen. The thing with Real Madrid this season is that they have only lost one big uh, game. It was against Athletic Club Bilbao in the Cup mm. quarterfinals. But since then, they have ticked all the boxes. Uh, they right. beat Inter twice. They beat Barcelona, they beat Atletico, uh, they beat Sevilla, uh, they won the Super Cup. So they've been doing the job, and I believe that this game against PSG will... Um give Real Madrid the chance to prove themselves against one of the best European clubs and I think that it's going to be a clash of styles as well because Real Madrid controls the game a lot and I think that uh, PSG will rely a lot on the counter-attack the balls to Messi and then Messi to Mbappé so that clash is going to be quite fascinating for that reason I believe mm, Okay, didn't they also lose a, a game against Sheriff uh, out of Tiraspol? Like yeah, yeah, that? no, that, that's, that's true. All the big games, James. The, All the yeah, big games, They lose right. the small games, but the big <laughs> ones, they're fine. But they have had one or two issues at this point of the Champions League in recent seasons, exiting in the round of 16 in two of the last three campaigns. And they come into this game with, A, Karim Benzema, an injury doubt. He's missed the last three matches with a hamstring injury. And a recent record, which has seen them only win one of their last four games. That was a 1-0 win at home to Granada. This weekend, for example, they were held 0-0 by Villarreal. But Gareth Bale's back. Funnily enough, uh, nobody would have expected Gareth Bale playing because if he didn't play in the Cup quarterfinals against Athletic Club Bilbao and Rodrigo and Vinicius started in that game after playing 44 hours before with Brazil you would have thought Gareth Bale will never play. And Carlo Ancelotti, I think that he amazed everyone just uh, playing Gareth Bale from the start. And the uh, Welshman had a decent game. I think he hit the post as well. And uh, he, he looked okay, uh, considering that he hadn't played a football game for a few months. But is that enough for Gareth Bale to start against the PSG? I don't think so. I, they will do their best uh, from the medical point of view to have Karim Benzema on the pitch. Uh, whether he will play 90 minutes or just one half, it's something that we will see. And then Fernand Mendy seems to be back as well. A player who has a, a ridiculous winning ratio for Real Madrid this season. Pretty much whenever he's on the pitch, Real Madrid wins. Carlo Ancelotti will consider this tire as a 180-minute tire, especially because the uh, away goal rule doesn't work anymore in the Champions League. Eder Militao uh, having a one-on-one -on -one with uh, Kylian Mbappé. And I tell you, from all the defenders of La Liga, if anybody can win a race to Kylian Mbappé or if anyone can challenge him from the speed point of view, that is Eder Militao. Carlo Ancelotti, of course, Real Madrid boss, former manager of Paris Saint-Germain. Admit it, Alvaro, you think Real are going to absolutely destroy Paris Saint-Germain. You've seen the Parisians, you've seen them struggle past the likes of and you think they're going to come a cropper here. Well, I'm pretty much watching every every PSG game this season because I am a big fan of Messi and uh, I have been very disappointed with them in many games, in many games. And Jules have spoken about it. Uh, they won many games, just uh, looks like it is effortlessly, but it's basically Mbappé doing everything up front and winning games for them. And uh, also there are some players in PSG that can lose the ball in central areas, for example, Danilo or Kimpembe or Idrissa Gay. And, uh, you know, I don't think that those players with the ball are uh, Champions League players, with all due respect. I think that defensively they are good, but not with the ball in their feet. And I think that Real Madrid, for that reason, is more balanced. They've got players who have the technique, but also without the ball they play very well. So I think that Real Madrid is the favourite, but PSG has the best players. We have to say that as well, because sometimes the best players win games as well. Mbappé mm. and Messi uh, will obviously will play for Real Madrid, and they will be their best players all together with maybe Vinicius or Benzema. So this is something that has to be taken into account as well. PSG was not better than Manchester. 
Manchester City at the Parc de Prince and yet they beat them because they have Messi, they have Mbappé. So, you know, this can happen, but I still see Real Madrid as the favorite because they've got an idea more consolidated than PSG and they know what they are playing for. Okay. Who's got the best players between Barcelona and Napoli who will be facing off Thursday in a very tasty looking Europa League tie? It's uh, Barcelona's first appearance in this competition in 18 years, back when it was the UEFA Cup. What do you think, James Horncastle? I still think Barcelona have got uh, the better players. Um, don't seem to have a problem spending money recruiting mm. in January, which is something that Napoli didn't do unless you count Axel Twanzebe, who came in to cover for Costas Manaras, who returned to Olympiacos. But, um, All those players coming back from injury like new signings, though. Victor Ozzyman in particular. Victor Ozzyman, yes. Although he came in for some criticism after the weekend's game. Um, Spalletti saying he often plays as if it's one man against 11. Ozzyman against his opponents. Um, needs to get his head up, needs to you know, not take two or three strides because two or three strides for Osman are like 10 for his teammates uh, and they often can't catch up with him. Hmm. Um, and But he is, a, he is a very interesting player to watch and I think he was unlucky not to be among the goals in their 1-1 draw with Inter at the weekend because you saw how he caused problems for Stefan de Vrij and Milan Skriniar. Often de Vrij, where Skriniar had to come over and help his teammate out. So he will occupy Barcelona's centre-backs, make it difficult for them. And then the other thing, uh, Napoli best defence in Serie A, and they were unlucky to concede against Inter. Um, not really much that Koulibaly and Di Lorenzo could do about Edin Dzeko heading the ball against them and then reacting a little quicker to put it in the roof of the net. But... I think one of the reasons why they defend so well isn't just because they've got Khalidou Koulibaly um, back, of course, from winning the AFCON with Senegal, but also because they've got a very Catalan-Spanish kind of midfield uh, with Labotka, uh, with Fabian Ruiz in particular. They're very good at playing one-touch football um, and making their opponents chase shadows. So in that respect, I think it, it could be a really attractive game for us mm. all to watch. The weekend game you're referring to there, of course, Napoli's 1-1 draw with Inter, the team who were on top of the table with Napoli uh, just a point behind them. Uh, that draw, though, allowing Milan to slip past the pair of them into top spot, but the trio separated by only two points. We'll talk more about the Serie A title race later on, but this this game for Napoli, this visit to the new camp. Alvaro, how are Barcelona looking after their 2-2 draw in the derby with Espanyol? It was a very disappointing result. And uh, if you just take individually uh, what we saw against Espanyol, you will say Barcelona is not ready to to win the Europa League, which is the target right now because they are unlikely to win any trophy this season. And not winning the Europa League will be a little bit of a fiasco for Barcelona because whatever is not lifting the trophy of the Europa League at the end of the season is going to be considered like a, a failure in many levels for Barcelona because they are playing a competition that they haven't played for many years and they are supposed to be the best team of the competition right now, even though they have to prove it. But yeah, against the Espanyol, they show again that uh, whenever they score the first goal, they cannot go for the second or they cannot make an attempt to go for the second, even though Adama Traore had a good chance in there to score the 2-0 and probably just put the game to bed. But that didn't happen. And then they allow the Espanyol to have a 
an uprise. And this is something that uh, cannot happen. Uh, top teams don't used to do that. It's like Barcelona didn't know how to stop Raul de Tomás, who is sensational and scored a beautiful goal. And then uh, Sergi Darder, a player who this uh, week um, we got to know that he had had some mental issues as well, some depression and all that, but he was excellent against Barcelona. So basically there was a team in the Barcelona derby that decided to set the voltage of the game and they made the game very voltaic. Uh, they made the game difficult to play and Barcelona had to compete in that situation and they couldn't get a win. So that tells you again that this Barcelona team, whenever it's demanded, highly demanded, then they suffer and they are not ready yet to, to play a full game uh, at full speed. Then they managed to get a goal in the 96 minute, uh, thanks to Luke de Jong. And uh, yeah, the point is good after all, because Real Madrid didn't win in the weekend, because uh, then Atletico de Madrid is still not uh, on top of them on the table, even though they are leveled on points. So I would say that both Espanol and Barcelona can be a little bit disappointed with the result, but maybe Barcelona is slightly happier about it, because at least they got a point in the last minute. Mm. Adama Traore has been pretty good for them in, in his matches so far. He's been very good. Um, the plan of Barcelona, and it is very telling that uh, from day number two, because this is the second game of Adama Traore at Barcelona, the plan was passing the ball to him uh, and let him do something with the ball. Uh, that was very impressive. And uh, it's a testament to how good he has to seem to, to his teammates, that they think that this is the right thing to do. Uh, in contrast with Ferran Torres, a player who scored a beautiful goal in Bilbao in the Cup uh, last 16 round, but uh, he played as a false number nine or as a number nine, and he, he didn't make a difference against Espanol. I think it was, was a bit disappointing from him, but I have to say, yes, Adama Traoré has had a really good impact from the beginning at Barcelona, and uh, I believe that uh, in times of uh, negativity, an optimistic player like Adama Traoré, who is in a way a soloist, well, uh, sometimes he's very well accepted. Excellent. All right. Uh, James was just mentioning how they're still able to make signings, Barcelona, after what was supposed to be a season of extreme penury. Of course, the last week has brought news of this absolutely huge sponsorship deal uh, with music streaming platform Spotify. Does that completely change the prospects for Xavi and the team in one stroke? No, 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 not completely, not at all, because there is a massive debt and then they have to comply with uh, La Liga financial fair play um, and then with the UEFA financial fair play. But La Liga one uh, is the first one and it's not easy for Barcelona to abide it. So I think that this is something that, that Barcelona needed to do. We spoke like a couple of years ago when the pandemic started about Barcelona probably selling the title rights of the ground uh, to a big brand, even though some at Barcelona opposed. And yes, this is going to help Barcelona tackle the debt. Now, uh, the rumor is that Barcelona is not uh, refusing the contract with CBC, that contract that is going to bring all La Liga clubs some extra money. Now the rumor is that Barcelona may not uh, refuse it completely. So let's see. Uh, every injection of money to the team, uh, coming from whenever Spotify or CBC, uh, will be definitely considered. And let's don't forget that Barcelona will have to keep on offloading players at the end of the season because this is not sustainable. I mean, in winter they brought many players, uh, some of them will stay, some of them may not stay, but those who stay, like for example Aubameyang, will have a better salary next season than this season. So they have to keep on doing a good job in the market and they have to keep on offloading players. Okay, uh, we'll be hearing soon enough about uh, Bayern Munich and their extraordinary defeat this weekend to Bochum and maybe whether Red Bull Salzburg can pull off a similar trick this midweek. But let's catch up on Inter, the team who only managed to draw last weekend away in Naples, seeding top spot. 
in City are in the process and their chances against Liverpool. What do you think, James? You referenced the fact that last time Liverpool were at San Siro, they looked mighty fine. They were taking on Milan in the group stages this season. They blew past the Rossoneri on their way to becoming the first English side ever to win six out of six in the group stage. What hope do you think the Neders already have of arresting their extraordinary progress? Well, Inter and Milan are different teams. Um, they play at the same ground, but I think that's where the commonalities end um, because Inter have more experience in Europe than this generation of Milan players. They've been back in the Champions League for, what, four years. They've been to a Europa League final. They've played in games, not knockout games, but you know, Barcelona, Dortmund, uh, Real Madrid. And you know, often what you hear after those games is Inter played really well for an hour. Yeah, they, they dominated for an hour. They, they could have scored more goals. And they've lost those games, or they, 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 they certainly haven't won them. And so, yeah, this is a test in that regard to see if they can take that extra step. Um, I think they're realistic about their prospects in it. Um, yeah, they haven't been in the round of 16 for more than a decade, um, despite a lot of investment, uh, despite good coaches uh, being in charge. Uh, I think it's going to be tough because they'll be without Nicola Barella in the first game, suspended after a bit of petulance from him, lashing out at Ede Militao in the final group stage game against Real Madrid, which was completely unnecessary given there was nothing riding on that game. Both teams had qualified. And Barella is a player who plays at Liverpool intensity um, and is their leading assist provider so far this season. Um, I think you can make the case that um, Dzeko hasn't replaced Lukaku in being Lautaro's partner. Barella has, because a lot of Lautaro's goals have been set up uh, by Barella this season. Um, Dzeko has a bit more of a connection with Dumfries, uh, who's Hakimi's uh, successor. The team has quality, and I think one of the things that stood out in the first half of the season but particularly in the group stages in both games against Real Madrid, yeah, they have an ability in possession with Brozovic um, where they can actually have a foothold in these games. They have pace and dynamism uh, in Barella when he's playing, but also in Perisic um, and in, in Dumfries. And they've got a couple of good strikers. And you know, even if they don't dominate the play, and I don't expect them to against a side as good as Liverpool, the big threat that Inter have is 11 goals from corner kicks this season, 16 headed goals, um, very good in the air. And sometimes all you need is a moment like that to keep you in a tie uh, like this. So look, I, I think Inter's priorities this season, it's to retain the title. It's the closest title race in Europe's top five leagues. It's to get that 20th Scudetto, which would be a second star. But, you know, I, I think there's a feeling that you know, when Conte left Juventus, Allegri unexpectedly took Juventus to a final. And Inter had due a good run in the Champions League. Forget about the Europa League final a couple of years ago. Juventus's run under Allegri started with them knocking out a quote-unquote giant of the time, Dortmund, who'd just been to a Champions League final, a club that was coached by Jurgen Klopp. Could it happen this time around with Liverpool? 
I don't think so. Um, because Liverpool are far better than Dortmund were then. I think that was a Dortmund side that had just sold Lewandowski. Um, and, and, and again, James, this is, this is the question whenever Italian sides play English sides, I think with the exception of Juventus under Allegri in his first spell, and maybe Atalanta with Gasparini, is Italian sides have to show that they can keep pace with mm. the intensity uh, with, with English teams. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, worryingly for Inter, they've just come through two two games regarded as must-win fixtures and, and managed to get victories in neither of them. The derby a week ago with Milan and then that visit to Napoli, their other title rivals, this time around. All right. Next up, let's check in on Bayern Munich. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Deutscher Meister, bin nieder VfL. Deutscher Meister, bin nieder VfL. Deutscher Meister, bin nieder VfL. Indeed. Probably the surprise result of this weekend in Europe was Bayern Munich losing at the team that this song was dedicated to, promoted side Borkham. Who is a Borkham fan? Christoph Biermann, of course. And that was him singing. And he joins us now. Christoph, first of all, nice pipes. <laughs> So, Christoph, recording as the Sammy Pochstein experience, which you have to explain to us, with the Deutsche Meister Venida for FL, was it a hit? <laughs> um, not actually. Um, it, it, oh. it was banned from the club shop, um, so the uh, board of the club at that time... <laughs> They were. Um, they they uh, had the impression that the song was too critical, saying that uh, Bochum will never be champion ever, mm. and um, so they they didn't take it to the club shop. And in the end, it was uh, the a very independent and, as you heard, very low-file production, and um, and <laughs> I think it sold um, five hundred vinyl singles. But uh, okay. but it uh, it. Uh, it, it was on, on different uh, football song samplers, uh, even in Japan. So hmm. I don't know if, if, if semi-postan experience is big in Japan, but uh, at <laughs> least it was published. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, no doubt you're, you're thinking about penning a new tune after what happened this weekend as Borkham hosted the mighty Bayern Munich and beat them 4-2. You're a long-time Borkham fan, Christoph. How did Saturday's result rank among the all-time great Borkum games? Um, there is a famous Bochum fan. He is called uh, VfL Jesus, because not, not because he is an holy man, but because he resembles uh, Jesus in a way. And he said it's, it was the game of the century. 
And uh, maybe he, I don't know if he was only referring to this century or even the century before. Um, yeah, but, but uh, of course, it was terrific. And I, in a way, I was under shock um, because um, Bochum is, is, is not the team that is used to, to beat um, Bayern. They, they got good results against uh, uh, big teams or big names in the Bundesliga over the decades, but not, especially not against Bayern. And I think one of the reasons is uh, that there is a fan friendship between uh, Bochum and Bayern supporters. Uh, It's a long history to that, but uh, my, my feeling is that uh, maybe that uh, played a part in there. And um, no, so um, yeah, actually I was under shock, on, uh, especially uh, after the first half when uh, Bochum was 4-1 uh, up. 4-1 up. The first time that Bayern have conceded four first half goals in the Bundesliga since the mid-1970s. Bochum, who were only promoted at the start of this season... So Bayern take the lead, as usual, with that Robert Lewandowski. But then what happened? How did this incredible upset come about? I think maybe we have to jump back a bit. Uh, because on this day today, two years ago, um, the Bundesliga was, uh, professional football was interrupted in Germany because of the, uh, of the pandemic. And as you know, the, uh, the German football was the first to start. And before this interruption, Bochum was uh, fourth from bottom in the second division. And um, in a spectacular fashion, they've uh, turned things round and... Uh, It was even a surprise uh, that they uh, were promoted to the Bundesliga this season. And there is a much bigger surprise that they are uh, where they are now with 28 points and uh, uh, were able to to take the opportunity. Because if, if you if you want to win against uh, Bayern, uh, I think the rule for most uh, clubs, apart from probably uh, Dortmund or Leverkusen or maybe even Leipzig is... Bayern has to allow it. Bayern has to take a day off. And uh, they, they did that uh, this season uh, several times already. Interestingly, going out of uh, the German Cup 5-0 at, at um, Mönchengladbach, losing at home to Mönchengladbach again in the league and uh, uh, in Augsburg. So especially against the smaller, uh, smaller teams and... Um, But, but if you look at the table, they are still, in a way, unaffected. Uh, mm. Six points clear of uh, Borussia Dortmund still. Okay, but it's a huge result for Borkham. You're How many points are you now above the relegation zone? It's, um, it's, it's 10 from direct relegation and six from the relegation uh, place. So you, uh, to, because I think not everybody knows it, the third from the bottom of the Bundesliga at the mm. end of the season plays two relegation matches against the third from the uh, third from the second division. All right, a huge result. Bayern were without Manuel Neuer, their first choice keeper. Not sure though whether he would have saved some of those goals because there were some fantastic goals uh, from Borkham here. Christian Gamboa, also the Gerrit Holtmann. Then Gerrit Holtmann, tunnel against Upamecano. Holtmann and he sits auch. That is unfassbar. 4 zu 1, 44. Minute. 
He also scored um, the goal of the season uh, for 2021. Um, uh, that's a very popular competition in, in German TV where people can vote for the best goal of the month and in the end the best goal of the year. And um, he, he scored a, a goal after terrific dribbling against Mainz. And uh, so he is, he is not the goal scorer, but uh, he takes the, the nice goals. Hmm. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, congratulations then uh, to yourself, Christoph, and, and Borkum. <laughs> Thank and, you. And uh, a quick word, if we may, uh, on the aforementioned Borussia Dortmund, who did take the opportunity to narrow the gap at the top two six points by winning 3-0 at Union, who we had been talking up uh, in recent shows as being potential Champions League participants next season. They've dropped to seventh with this defeat, although, my word is it, tight, because... The teams from fourth place to seventh in the Bundesliga are all on the same points. Leipzig, Hoffenheim, Freiburg and Union. Dortmund, though, who will be hosting Rangers on Thursday. How's their form looking? How good was Marco Reus as well at the weekend? Uh, Marcus Reus was outstanding. Uh, he, he played in a bit of a different role uh, and um, that was a very um, uh, good decision by uh, coach Marco Rose. He, he played on the number 10 and he, he scored two goals from coming from this position. He looked very much in form. Uh, I mean, it was. A, uh, I, I was there yesterday at the Alte Försterei, and uh, Borussia Dortmund was um, uh, was impressive because, as you said, it's not easy to to win at at Union. It's it's um, uh, that's only the second uh, defeat this uh, this season at home. The first one was against Bayern Munich, and, and it was important because uh, last week we we've been talking about them as a problem child of the Bundesliga, and. Um, um, and uh, now, now they looked like not at all like a problem child. They la- looked like a, especially a very mature team. Uh, how they approached the game, how they uh, they played it. Um, they looked good. Excellent. All right. Well, a huge game coming up for them, as I say, on Thursday as they host Rangers. Meantime, Bayern will be in action on the Wednesday away in Austria against RB Salzburg. What do you think about Salzburg? Could they do a Borkum? Um, if Bayern allows it, yes. I mean, that's um, uh, if they take take a, another day off, um, Salzburg has a has a good chance. But um, but but that's not typical for for Bayern, and and not uh, and I think it won't happen two times in a row. So okay. I think Salzburg will be uh, faced with a very concentrated and very sharp Bayern team. Right, 6-2 this game finished last time Bayern visited uh, a Red Bull. That was uh, last season in the group stage. Um, Red Bull coming off as well a two-month break in the Austrian Bundesliga season. Uh, Their first game back was Friday night when they were 2-1 winners at Rapid Vienna. Alvaro. Yeah, very quickly. uh, I would like to ask Christoph, uh, what does he think about uh, Joshua Kimmich playing on his own in midfield? Because the the other day it didn't work. And, uh, you know, maybe not against Salzburg, even though they press a lot. But uh, in the Champions League, uh, Nagelsmann has to address that. I mean, he has to play someone alongside him because otherwise they are going to suffer a lot. And I know that Goretzka is out, but still, they have to find a solution there. Yeah, uh, it's a good question that you're bringing up there because um, he corrected himself in Bochum. Because in the first half, Kimmich was the the um, sole number six, and then uh, Tolisso came on um, to help him in midfield, and um, it wasn't enough to to to, to turn the the game around. But um, 
uh, I think it's it's better for for um, uh, Bayern to, to play with with two players on in this position of the field. And uh, Tolisso um, has proven that that he's able to do it in a in a very good way. So it was a tactical decision to to approach this um, um, this Bochum match in a in a different um, tactical order. But um, I Nagelsmann said it himself that it was a mistake. Mm, probably bad news for Red Bull Salzburg to be taking on the Bavarian Giants straight after they've had a defeat like this. All right, we'll see what happens on Wednesday. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Sammy Pockstein Experience, <laughs> a.k.a. Christoph Beermann. Look forward to speaking to you again soon. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Cheers, bye. The other game midweek in the Champions League is Sporting against Man City. Hmm... Sporting, who finished second in Group C before Christmas, uh, they were behind Ajax, beat Borussia Dortmund to second spot, pushing Dortmund into the Europa League. Uh, City, who did actually lose a couple of away games in the group stages at PSG, as mentioned before, and uh, RB Leipzig as well beat them at their place. However, what do you think? Much chance of an upset here? I think the Sporting is a very good side. I do believe that. Uh, Manchester City, they had the strange numbers in the group stage because in the Premier League they have conceded only 14 goals, which is their, is their best ever ratio in uh, history for Manchester City uh, at this point of the season, having played for 24 games. And in the Champions League, they conceded a lot, a lot of games so far because they played also against PSG and against Leipzig. And yet they came out as first of the group. I did like uh, something that Manchester City did a lot uh, in the weekend, which was like uh, keeping the ball, the possession next to the opponent's box and suddenly sending a ball to the second post. And from there, uh, we saw Manchester City having a lot of chances. So they are adding up uh, new things and new tactical switches to the team pretty much every month. So that is very impressive. Uh, but when it comes to Sporting, they are a very good team. And uh, I hope that they had a little bit of yoga on Friday because after the game against Porto, you know, after the final whistle, there were mm. four players sent off. Do you remember? Mm. Uh, that was, uh, you know, it was a very tough game for both Porto and Sporting because uh, Sporting needed to win just to keep um, realistic chances of uh, winning back-to-back uh, titles in Portugal and Porto managed to come back from a tuny deficit and they got an equalizer and the game finished to all and it was a very physical game and sure that they are tired after that but then they rested one more day than Manchester City but Sporting uh, Lisbon they are a funny side because no player stands out like in Porto before with Luis Diaz or with Benfica with Darwin Núñez but mm. they've got a really good core of players. They won the last two Tasa da Liga and they lost the last uh, league title in Portugal and Rubén Amorim he won the last three Tasa da Ligas. Three, four years ago he was uh, still pretty much doing an internship doing his badges and all that. Uh, the, he even attended the course uh, in which Jose Mourinho was one of the uh, speakers I believe four or five years ago and uh, from the very first moment that he became a professional coach he's been winning titles he's been getting his teams better and uh, I really want to follow the trajectory of Rubén Mamorim because he has created a really solid side. All right well it's going to be interesting to see how that trajectory fares against Man City, who are not immune from blowing big games, particularly in Europe. Fascinating stuff. Thank you very much for that, Alvaro. Uh, in a second, let's get a quick check on some of the other games coming up in the Europa and especially Europa Conference League. 
we all enjoy the sport we call the beautiful game. But since I've retired, I've discovered an ugly, even darker side to the sport we love. Join me as Jamie Redknapp investigates. Thanks, Jamie. We'll take it from here. Join Jamie Redknapp for Jamie Investigates, the football mockumentary series. Watch on Paddy Power's Twitter. This week, Jamie Investigates, people who still call the Premier League the Premiership. Do you know the truth? Paddy Power. 18 plus, becomealawyer.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Thursday brings the Europa League and Europa Conference League. If you're confused as to which game to follow, Sheriff Braga... Perhaps Porto Lazio, possibly Sparta Prague, Partizan Belgrade. The good news is that you can follow all the games at once via the magic that is the Gold Show, which returns for a special Thursday night edition. Uh, we're going to be looking, of course, all over Barcelona and Napoli. You'll be handling that one, I imagine, will you, James? Of course. Of course. We've got Don Hutchin. Don Hutchinson, he's going to be following Dortmund Rangers. A uh, big opportunity for redemption there because the last time they met, Rangers got eliminated on penalties. And who missed the crucial spot kick? Oh, my word, it was Giovanni von Bronckhurst. This was back in 1999, but he's now Rangers manager. Huh. Uh, what else you got? you got Atalanta against Olympiacos, the Greek mythology derby. Porto Lazio, the Sergio Conceição derby. What, what, what Thursday night games have you got ringed in red? James Alvaro. I think the Porto Lazio game. Um, because, you know, I mean, Pepe just got sent off for the first time in 11 years. Um, yeah, I mean, how's he going to react to that? After the is final whistle. <laughs> <laughs> is he going to be shaken up after uh, a 40-man brawl, 100 people on the pitch uh, at the end of that uh, Clasico? Um, but, you know, Porto came back from 2-0 down. To, to get a point in that game. And they are still undefeated uh, in Portugal. And we saw them uh, do pretty well in the games that they needed to do well in, um, in the Champions League, which was the ones against Milan. Um, and, you know, Maurizio Sarri was saying, Look, after uh, the cup game against Milan uh, in midweek, he asked some of the Milan players, what was it like playing Porto? Um, and I think they told him it was harder than what they just faced uh, than his Lazio team, who they'd just beaten 4-0. Um, but, not to be uh, churlish, uh, Lazio have picked up form of late. Um, you know, not themselves out of the... Uh, uh, they're not out of the race for top four. Um, they've been winning a lot of games 3-0, keeping a lot of clean sheets, Immobile scoring. Zekanyi has been uh, a very good signing for them, as has Pedro. Um, and, uh, and so this could, be a, this could actually be a, be a, a very interesting game beyond um, the obvious Sergio Conceição links. Mm, excellent. Alvaro, you'll probably have one eye on Sevilla, who've been excellent form. And of course, Europa League favourites, 
Uh, they're hosting Dinamo Zagreb Sevilla, who are still in second place in La Liga. They had a 2-0 win at the weekend to close the gap a little with Real Madrid again to, to uh, four points. Uh, anything else you want to highlight from the Thursday night games? Definitely. I mean, I think that uh, from the Spanish side, um, I'm looking forward to seeing Betis because uh, mm. if any team is entertaining this season in La Liga, Israel Betis, they are scoring a lot of goals. Fekir, he has been one of the best players in La Liga and in the weekend he scored the brace. And uh, Betis came second from uh, their group in December. I think Bayer Leverkusen was better than them that period of the year. But right now, Betis is a great proposition and I think that Zenit is going to suffer because Betis is playing a really good football. So I'm looking forward to that game and of course, Leipzig, Real Sociedad is another game that stands Oof. out as well. Yeah. Real Betis away in St. Petersburg. That'll be a huge game. As I mentioned, all the matches, there's an early evening tranche and then an, a later evening tranche that will all be covered on the BT Gold Show. If you're in a, a region where that's available, why not tune in? Excellent. Uh, one or two other stories to pick up from La Liga and Serie A. We'll do that next. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which will come in handy when Mikel Arteta finally bends the process altogether. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Other T's and C's apply and please gamble responsibly. Palla lunga di Mike Mignon che va a cercare Leao. Grandissimo l'assist di Mike per Rafa. Eccolo lì, Rafa che se ne va. Rafa che se ne va. Gol di Rafael Leao, prepotente e decisivo, assist di Mignon, gol di Leao, tutti ad abbracciare Mike, fantastico! All right, James, Milan top of the table, a lot of love for Rafael Leao and for Mike Mignon. Yeah, um, two players who combined for the only goal of the game, Mike Mignon being the goalkeeper, signed to replace Gigi Donnarumma in the summer, and what a goalkeeper uh, Milan have got uh, for... Very small fee, uh, you know, compared with some of the other top goalkeepers. You think of the money paid for Alice and Edison. Um, and the distribution that Mainian has, which came to the fore in this goal, um, because I wouldn't say he hoofed it, but, you know, he became the first goalkeeper at Milan to have an assist since Dida against Ascoli uh, wow. a long, long time ago. 77 metres they measured this at. Yes, um, Using the Boris metrics there, um, are we? Uh, <laughs> that's what it, that's um, what it said in the paper. Um, but yeah, first goalkeeper since Dida to, to get an assist for Milan. Uh, Marco Giampaolo, a coach of Sampdoria, was actually the coach of Ascoli that day that Dida did that. So uh, clearly, um, you know, Milan's long-in-the-tooth scouts have, have told the goalkeepers to just punt it long, and that's the way to break down Giampaolo teams. Um, but Leal has also gone to another level this season. You know, it, it, there was no doubt about his his talent, 
you know, he's got this size, but this kind of wiry elasticity and speed, um, which has led Stefano Pioli to compare him with Thierry Henry. And yeah, since the turn of the year in particular, he's been unplayable at times. I think that's why you've had this sudden resurgence in Milan's form after they flagged a little towards the end of, of last year and going into the, the little mini break that we've just had. And it's been a perfect week. Come back from mm. behind and beat uh, Inter in the derby. Um, knock out Lazio to reach a cup semi-final where they will play Inter for another mm. derby. Uh, and then, I mean, they should have scored more goals in this game against Samp and obviously went top of the table. So, um, yeah, lots of signs of encouragement for, for Milanisti. Absolutely. They're one point clear of Inter and two points clear of Napoli in an ever-so-exciting title race. Meantime, if they do make it past their upcoming derby at the start of March in the Coppa Italia semi-finals, then they'll be up against uh, the winners of another very intriguing semi-final matchup, which is Juventus with Dusan Vlajevic up against Vlajevic's old club Fiorentina. The first leg in Florence should be, uh, well, tasty. Uh, Juve at the weekend involved in a 1-1 draw away at Atalanta. You flagged up Ruslan Malinovsky's goal, but uh, Juve's never-say-die attitude... Uh, was uh, in evidence once again. It was. Um, yeah, they played very well for the first 20 minutes, were very authoritative, um, looked like Vlajevic was going to continue on yeah, what has been a very good start to his Juventus career. Um, obviously scored on his debut and his effort was deflected in for a late winner against Sassuolo in the cup. But yeah, Atalanta, to their credit, made it very difficult. Um, for Juventus, um, I think it was interesting how yeah they paid fly, 75 million for Vlajevic in January, but it was their other 75 million signing who was probably more important was Matthias Delict. Um, yeah, Delict making a, a number of key blocks. Atalanta claiming one was with his hand in the penalty area, and you know it was going to be very difficult for them to break the deadlock, but break it they did in the, in stoppage time with that Dybala corner kick and Danilo rising up. To score a header, and there are 11 games unbeaten. I think it's eight mm. uh, or seven clean sheets in that time. Um, and, yeah, keeps them where they want to be for now this season, which is to, to still have a chance of getting top four. They are ahead of, of Atalanta, but Atalanta have a game in hand. And, and yeah, we'll just have to see how this new Juventus uh, with, with Vlajevic, but also with Zakaria when he comes back, how they evolve, progress, and... and uh, and what they can do in the Champions League as well uh, mm. against Villarreal. Yeah, that'll be coming up uh, in a week's time. Juve, fourth place then. Atalanta, two points behind them. And Lazio, only two points behind them. Lazio, who will be seeing in action uh, on Galazzo Live next Sunday night, if you fancy a bit of that. Uh, they're away at Udinese. Hmm. Very good. To round things off, Alvaro. We talked about the derby. In Catalonia, we never really got the background to that quite extraordinary Atletico Madrid seven-goal thriller with Getafe, 3-3 at half-time. What's going on with Atleti this year? It's extraordinary. Um, the, the, you know the funny thing? That whenever they are more needed, whenever they look more wounded, 
is when they bring their best possible version. Uh, they did it against Liverpool, I remember in the Champions League. They mm. couldn't win that game, but uh, they were reduced to 10 men and they were very competitive against Liverpool. Also, uh, they know how to come back in games as well. The problem is why does Atletico de Madrid uh, resort to heroics? I mean, why do they have to come back in so many games? Why they have to play so many games uh, reduced to 10 men? These things have to be polished very quickly. They have to be fixed because otherwise they won't go very far away in the Champions League. And against Getafe, a year ago, I was telling you guys about the head-to-head of the Atletico de Madrid against Getafe, which was uh, unprecedented and very weird as well. I think that in from 2011, December or November 2011 until mid-2021, uh, Getafe and Atletico played like around 17, 18 games and Atletico... Uh, always got the points against Getafe and Getafe never scored a goal against Atletico de Madrid. And suddenly in a half, they are scoring three goals this time on Saturday evening. I think Getafe, they are a very improved team and under Kike Sánchez Flores. That has to be said. Kike has changed the team completely. Kike, by the way, is a manager that should be getting a lot of praise in Madrid, especially obviously at Atletico de Madrid. He was also a Real Madrid player, but uh, as an Atletico de Madrid uh, manager, he won the Europa League for Atletico in 2010. You will remember that they beat uh, Roy Hawkson's Fulham. And that was the first title that Atletico got in many years. So that was very important for them, I would say. But back to the game. It was 3-0 after uh, 45 minutes. Atletico missed the penalty. Uh, then they were 2-3 down. Uh, they scored the 3-0. And in the second half, Felipe was sent off with... Uh, with a very bad challenge. He raised his leg too much and he hit very strongly. Arambarri, fortunately, uh, Arambarri is fine, but it could have been uh, very, very, very dangerous. And, and then in the 89th minute, when they were reduced to 10 men and they had played around 25 minutes with 10 men, they managed to score that goal by Mario Hermoso. These are mm. the kind of wins that uh, probably lift the morale in the troops, but at the same time, the same questions linger. I mean, why is Atletico having so much trouble to win the winnable games. Indeed. And it leaves them level on points with Barcelona, but behind on goal difference. And one thing, James, about Mateus Cunha, because he scored mm. for Atletico the other day, um, his ratio is astonishing. Uh, probably nobody was expecting this. He has scored five goals in La Liga. He has taken only eight shots. Uh, I think that this is over a 60% conversion rate. So, yeah, the Brazilian is doing very well. Very nice indeed. Excellent. All right. Just one story we should probably flag up before we leave you, listener. Uh, last week we talked about how Pippo Inzaghi had been ruthlessly fired by Brescia chairman Massimo Cellino. Yes, him. Brescia down in Serie B, the second division in Italy. They were third in the table when Cellino decided it wasn't good enough and that Pippo should do one, promptly contacting Diego Lopez to bring him in instead. That was at the start of the week. However, on Thursday, James, what happened? Well, there was a meeting with uh, Super Pippo's lawyers, James, and they pointed out that Massimo Cellino had agreed to a clause in Pippo's contract which said, sorry, you can't fire him if, uh, if my client is in, what, the top six? Mm-hmm. Uh, and with them being third, Pippo is unfireable. I think he was on the bench at the weekend for the game against Alessandria which uh, ended in a 1-1 draw. They needed a 90th-minute equaliser. They're still fourth, and that means Super Pippo 
is still unsackable, Super Pippo. Hooray! However, they're only three points away from seventh place, Frosinone. So, boy, this is going to be quite a tense run-in. Right. We'll keep you abreast of that, listener. It's an important one. A very good. Very good. Uh, that's where we'll leave things, though, for this edition of the Totally Football Show uh, European version. Many thanks to Alvaro and to James Horncastle and Christoph Beerman and Julian Laurence, producer Charlie, as ever, putting the whole thing together. And listener, your ears, what would it have been without them? Uh, that's a philosophical question, isn't it? If you made a podcast but nobody listened. But anyway, we'll be back with more real-life tales of daring do around the continent next Tuesday. Of course, on Thursday, we'll have reaction to the midweek game. So hopefully you'll join us for that. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.